If I haven't met you yet, guys, my name's Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as the lead pastor on eldership with Herrick and Heather Berga. My wife, Ebony, she was the uh, wonderful woman who prayed for our kids this morning. Uh, just want to introduce myself to you. I see some new faces, so. Yeah, guys. Uh, this was a crazy week for me. It was just like a kind of a busier week than normal. Uh, how many of you uh, were with us for the parenting conference? Show of hands. Okay, there's a handful of us. Really quickly, you're going to want to look around the room and see the hands because I speak for those people with their hands held. Like, it was one of the most helpful and profound, like, teachings, trainings on how to raise our kids to know and love Jesus that I've ever been a part of. It was phenomenal. So if you weren't able to join us and you saw whose hands were up, go talk with them, offer to buy them lunch so they can debrief with you some of the wisdom that was shared with us and some of the practical things because I genuinely believe that, guys, like if we are intentional in parenting and not just biologically but spiritually, not everybody is called to biological, biologically parent um, children, but we're all called to spiritual parenting because it's essentially just shepherding and discipleship. But hear me say this. I really am convinced that if we are intentional about the ways with which we, we spiritually parent and biologically parent these children, I mean, you saw there's a billion of them. Uh, if we're intentional about this, guys, this generation of kids is going to do remarkable things in ushering in God's kingdom in beautiful ways. Love, grace, mercy, justice, courage, boldness, in the face of the onslaught of a culture who wants to, frankly, deceive them. That's kind of what we're going to get into today. I, uh, this week, I had planned to continue on in our series, Jesus Is, you know, where we've been going through the Gospel of John, kind of week by week, verse by verse, book by book, and it's been really rich. And, I, and earlier this week, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I don't want you to do that. And I was like, but I already have stuff ready for that. Like, I, I, I'm... It's Halloween this week, there's, a, there's the conference, there's a lot going on, Lord, like, th- this is not good timing for me. <laughs> I don't need to rewrite a sermon, you know? And I felt like the Spirit said, like, no, I, I, I want you to do this. And if you're anything like me, sometimes God will, um, God will ask us to pause good things. And oftentimes, in my experience, there's reluctancy or there's fear or there's worry on my behalf because I have plans and I want to control my life. But hear me say this. I desperately, and I speak for Herrick and I say this, we desperately want our church to be a church who is always open-handed to whatever God wants to do. He's the Lord. Uh, we want to follow him in everything that we do, whether it's a sermon on a Sunday or whether it's anything in the life of our church. Jesus, like last week we talked about, Jesus is the good shepherd. Like he's the shepherd of our lives. We want to follow him. Um, so this morning is going to be interesting uh, because we are pressing pause on Jesus is. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Very first page, Genesis chapter one. That's where we're going to be today. While you're flipping there, um, has anybody done Ancestry DNA or like 23andMe or something like that? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's the, it's the uh, you figure out your DNA results, like what your, your, your origin is, what your, your background is, like whether you're from this part of the world or that part of the world. And what you do is you spit in the tube. They mail you this box, okay? You <laughs> Got your seat. You spit in this tube. If you've done this, you know, it's kind of silly because you have to fill up the tube to a certain like point and you're like, your saliva could get messy, it's weird. But either way, you spit in this tube you put it back in the box, you mail it back to the ancestor DNA people, and then in like four to six weeks, you get this 
um, I think it's an email, and you can log into their website, and it says, you know, here's your origin. Here's your, your biological heritage. And me and my wife did this recently, and what's cool about this is more and more people are doing it, so therefore, they're able to be more specialized in the results that they give you based on your DNA. So they say, like, your DNA hasn't changed, but because more people are doing this, they can refine your results more and more and more. So I think we did it, I don't know, a few months ago or something. And since we did it a few months ago, I've gotten two different um, emails that say, hey, actually, it's a little different. Your results are slightly different because we're able to specialize it and refine it more and more and more. So it's kind of cool. Like, I'll get this email. I'm like, oh, I'm going to find out more about myself, you know? And so I just got a recent one, and I was kind of disappointed because there was a lot more diversity in my original one where it was like stuff that was like, well, I didn't know I was like Jamaican and like, not that I was Jamaican, but do you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was not on my radar at all. I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 2%, I think what was it? It was like 2%, um, I don't even remember. I think it was like, I think it was North African. And I was like, that's so cool. Like I'm learning more about my heritage and all this kind of stuff. And as it's getting more refined, it's like, no, I'm just this basic, this is what it said. It's like, I wanted to be more diverse, and this is what my, my newest results read. Uh, 69% Northwestern Europe. Yeah. It's like, okay, so it's basically like England, Scotland, and Wales, 69%. It wasn't that like four months ago. It was something way cool, more exotic, you know, like all throughout the world. And I'm like, yes. Now I'm 69% Northwestern Europe and 15% Germanic Europe. So go, go figure. My wife, hers was really exciting in the beginning. Hers was like, there was like Italian in there, and there was, I don't even know if I told you this, I looked at your newest results. You saw them, okay, cool, thank God. I don't want to like spill the beads right now, like, hey, you haven't seen this yet, but okay. So, Ebony's, it's really cool, they were able to like really refine hers in, so she's 50% Mexican, okay, and specifically in this, in this uh, region of Mexico called Sinaloa. Right? So they were able to like zoom it in to this specific thing, and she's also 36% Spanish, Okay, so again, not a surprise for either one of us. It's not near as sexy and as cool as we thought in the beginning of like how diverse it could possibly be. But, but it's really fun to kind of discover your biological heritage, your origin, right? Here's my question for you. My question for all of us this morning is, do you know your heritage Spiritually? not just biologically, do you know your, your heritage spiritually? If there, was a, if there was like a spiritual ancestry DNA test that you could take, what would it say? Like what would your results be if you were able to log in and see the percentage breakdown, you know? We're pausing our typical series this morning because I really believe all of us need to know this. We need to know. And I'm convinced that God wants us to know because, hear me say this, it informs who you are. And who you are informs how you live. Okay? So hopefully you are in Genesis chapter one by now. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll jump in. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us now. Thank you that you, um, we can't be far away from you because you, you inhabit your people. You're inside of us. We're temples. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge your presence with us now. I pray for anybody in this room um, who isn't filled with your Holy Spirit, that today would be um, a liberating, beautiful day of love for them. And I ask you to like open our eyes, help me to really honor and serve these precious men and women in this room. 
Um, I don't want to get in the way of what you want to accomplish. I, I literally, like, I'd rather be wrong this weekend than disobedient to you, King Jesus. I feel like you led me here for our benefit. So please have your way. Help me not to get in the way. So I love you, Jesus, so much. Thank you for being so gracious to me. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so we're going to jump in here in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, but I kind of want to bring it up to speed. This will be review for many of you. If you've spent any time in the church, you kind of know this creation account, right? We have God. He speaks things into creation with what? His words. It's remarkable, okay? So he speaks with his words, and he creates things. He says, let there be light, and there's light. Let there, he, let there be earth, and let there be land, and sea, and vegetation, sun, moon, stars, animals, all that stuff. And then we pick up here in verse 26, okay? Verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That's the burger rule. <clears throat> rule the fish of the sea. That, that was on the fly, guys. That was on the fly. I thought it was clever, but... They love each other. It's beautiful. Hey, man, they're obeying God here. Okay, so I'll start over verse 28. That was awkward. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. So it gives them what they need. Okay, verse 30. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the, on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31. God saw, God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. Okay, so really quickly. God's original purpose for mankind was what? It's there in verse 26. What does it say? What's, his, what's God's original purpose for mankind? To rule, absolutely, okay? And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that God gives this purpose to mankind to rule before man was even created. He hadn't created man yet. And he gives man a purpose. Let us make man in our image to rule. You see this, okay? And it says that he made man and woman in the image of God to why? To ref that, what that means is to reflect God, what he's like to the world around them. To, to, to rule on his behalf, okay? And then he gives an original assignment to mankind in verse 28. They're kind of like a, a few of them. Do you see them there? Verse 28, God's original assignment to mankind. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and he says rule there again. So you have this, you have creator God, right? He, he's this creator, he's this king. Creator king, and mankind is his delegated officials, essentially, and what he's doing is he's giving his authority to them. He's handing them their, he's giving them authority, okay? It's sort of like, um, uh, is Tyler, Tyler and Peyton in the room? Are they gone? Uh, Jack, are you in the room? There he is, right in my face. So Jack was a police officer for many years, okay? Served, uh, served his community, uh, and ultimately, like, he was a delegated authority from what? From the state, 
right? So the state gives Jack and his, and his, um, his comrades, his, his constituents, his, his fellow police officers, the state gives Jack a certain level of authority that the state possesses, but it hands it over. He's delegated authority, right? So police officers, they have authority from the state. They're law enforcement officers. They enforce the laws and the rules of what? Of the state. You following me with this? Great. So God is king of the universe. There's no higher authority than him. And what he does is he gives mankind the purpose of ruling the earth, again, his creation, both his creation. So God, the the king of the universe, he gives mankind the purpose of ruling the earth on his behalf with his authority. Are you tracking with me with this? It's like a police officer. Um, And then what he does is he gives a really beautiful command. We've talked about this already. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Have you ever thought about the implications of that? Like, why did God give that command to the very first humans? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, he wanted more, for sure. Now, you guys familiar with what compound interest is? Yeah, most people? I'll break it down for just a second. I'm not not an economist by any means. Uh, But compound interest is basically like you take an initial investment of money, Right? You invest it, and then over time, it, ge- it gains interest. So more money. So if you have $100, maybe after a year, you have 110 or $120. So that extra money there, that, that, that's, a result of compound, or that's a result of interest. If you leave that money invested, what was once originally $100 is now 120 That money that was no longer there, it wasn't part of the original money, that starts to, build int- or it starts to uh, gain interest now. And you have this compound effect of money that wasn't, wasn't there in the beginning is now creating more money. Are you with me in this? That's compound interest. That's multiplication. It's the same thing. It's the same idea, okay? You invest that original money. Why? Because you have the sort of next generations of money in mind, right? If if you're saving for a timer or doing anything like that, you're doing it with the next generations of, 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 of income coming in because of the interest. You're doing it with the future in mind, or else you wouldn't invest it. You'd you put it away or you'd, you'd use it. Now listen, the same thing's true for God. The same thing's true for him. When he says be fruitful and multiply, he doesn't just have that first generation in mind. He's not just thinking, oh, here's Adam and Eve, let's see what happens. And listen, he has every generation in mind in that original command. How do we know this? It's all throughout the, it's all throughout the scriptures. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says this, I chose you before I formed you in the mother's womb, or for, formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49 verse 1, coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me, before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, I'm gonna read you verses 13 and then jump down to verse 16. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts, talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned, what does it say? Before a single one of them began. like compound interest. 
He has generations in mind in that original command. His, his command to be fruitful and multiply is given with every single generation in mind. So each person, you, your children, your children's children, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, every person ever, okay, every generation, God had them in mind from the beginning. From the beginning. That's what the Bible calls foreknowledge. And we see it in the very, very beginning in the garden before sin even comes into the equation, okay? So here's what I want you to know. Every single person in this room, God had you in mind from the very beginning or else he wouldn't have made that initial investment and given the command to be fruitful and multiply. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had you in mind from the very beginning before he formed you in your mother's womb. Think about that for a second. You ever feel alone? You ever feel like nobody understands you? You ever feel isolated? The king of the universe, he knew about you. Okay. We know what happens in the story, right? We have sin enters the world with the fall, right? Adam and Eve... They're deceived by Satan. It's the worst. Satan comes along, tempts them to disobey God, essentially. Hey, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And they're like, no, he just said don't eat from this one. And Satan deceives them, and they go, yeah, okay. Like, so basically what they do is they give into that temptation. They're deceived by Satan, and they disobey God. God says don't do this. They do it. And then sin enters the world. It fractures everything. Everything gets jacked up. Okay? And everything's not perfect anymore. You have death now. You have division now. You have brokenness. You have heaven and earth, right? The dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of man that were together in this beautiful union. Now it's separated. It's awful. Okay? We all know this. But something else happened in that moment. Something terrible. A transaction took place. Flip over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen here for you. Luke chapter four, verses one through seven. Listen to this. This is Jesus's temptation, right? So you had Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden, right? Satan comes along, tempts them. Now you have, we're gonna fast forward to Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. That's what it says. Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. Absolutely. Verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, okay, quotes scripture, quotes the word of God. Man must not live on bread alone. So he, the he there is Satan, took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all, the, and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. So Satan says that he possesses an authority that's been given over to him. Are you tracking with me here? Okay, so you have Adam and Eve. First humans, right? Adam and Eve. Instead of ruling over creation, 
Instead of using their God-given authority to enforce God's will, his way, right? They took Satan's bait. He tempted them, right? So they took Satan's bait. They exchanged doing the will of God for doing Satan's will. You with me? And in the process, they forfeited their authority. They handed it over to who? To Satan. Are you seeing this? This isn't my opinion. This is the word of God, okay? So they handed it over to Satan. It's sort of, it would be like a police officer. It would be like Jack handing over his badge to a criminal. The state's still the, the greatest authority. The state's still fully in authority, but someone with delegated authority has now handed over their badge to a criminal. What's that criminal going to do? He's going to go wild. He's going to use that badge to pull people over on the, on the highway and then steal their car. He's going to abuse authority. He's going to misuse the authority, okay? But the state is still the highest authority, but the badge is now in the hands of the criminal, and that creates lots of problems. Listen to me. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. I don't have to convince any of us in the room of that, but God is still king. He's still king of the universe, okay? He's still the highest authority, but now Satan has been given access to the badge. By who? By mankind. And what Satan's doing is he's using that badge. He's using that badge to establish a rival kingdom, a different kingdom. It's a kingdom of rejecting God as king. There's two. There's not like a hundred, there's two. And his kingdom is a kingdom of rejecting God as king. And friends, that's what sin is. It's a rejection of God as king and a rejection of who God made you to be. You're seeing this. It's deeper than just doing the wrong thing. It's rejecting the highest authority and in the process rejecting who that highest authority made you to be. It's a rejection of identity. He made you to be an ambassador for the king, to to, to rule on his behalf. So when you and I, when we sin, we're not just rejecting God, we're rejecting our true self. And we start to create our own identity. One that we form, one that we fashion. So, you, that's the story of the scriptures, right? And the, so you have all of mankind, every single one of us in this room, and what we do is we join, it's, I hate to say this, it sounds awful, we join Satan. We join him in becoming citizens of a new kingdom with a different king. And the Bible refers to this kingdom as the kingdom of darkness. We've all heard of this, right? The kingdom of darkness And the kingdom of darkness is full of citizens, full of people who want to be king. Like, no, I want to be king. No, no, I want to be king. No, I want to be king. No, I want to call the shots. No, I want to see, I want want to be king. So when it comes to ethics, I want to determine what's ethically right. I get to be that authority. Whether it's ethics, whether it's morals. Like, I'm good. Those people are the bad people. Because of fill in the blank. Ethics, morals, sexuality. I want to have sex outside of marriage. I want to I be able to dictate sexuality. I want to be king. Gender. I want to be able to choose my sexuality. I want to be able to choose my gender. Anything and everything. Nothing's off limits here. Okay? And guess what? This implicates every single one of us in the room. So when we talk about this stuff, we can go like, oh, that one's bad. This one's not as bad. We're, doing, we're playing into Satan's hand again. Anything, everything. And the common denominator here in the kingdom of darkness is selfishness. Me. 
over you. My way. I'm more important. No, I'm more important. No, I'm more important. And back and forth and on and on it goes. Um, Halloween was this week, right? Did anybody not dress up in Halloween? Did you guys all have a good costume? Wow, some of you guys didn't dress up. Okay. I was a bug catcher for Halloween. Um, my wife was a ladybug. My... Dude, I love you, Dakota. Thank you, man. Thank you. Gosh. So Ebony was a ladybug. Uh, Amelia was a butterfly. And Vivian was a bumblebee. So I'm a bug catcher. I had like the kid's net and I was dressed in like tan clothes. I, I, had, a, I had binoculars around my neck. It was ridiculous. Um, but I love my family. So husbands, dress up if they want you to dress up, okay? Um, so it was great. We, we, you know, we took the kids trick-or-treating, and it was fun, and it's fine. Um, and people freak out about Halloween. If you're in this room and you're freaking out, like the pastor dressed up for Halloween and he took his kids trick-or-treating, like, listen, I do everything to the glory of Jesus. I love him. Um, you can celebrate Halloween and being like death or whatever. I celebrate that Jesus like conquered death every moment of my life. So if you want to judge me, you can, but like I had fun with my kids and my wife and I love Jesus. So that being said, we were, thank you. Jesus, not me. Uh, either way, so it was cool. We took the kids trick-or-treating and it was fine. And it's funny because we're walking around and you see like some of the new costumes every year, right? You see the ones that are like the hip ones. Oh, I haven't seen that before. That's cool. But you see the kind of traditional ones. You know every year there's going to be like a dozen witches. You know every year there's going to be people that are dressed up as a pumpkin. Like you know these consistent ones. Um, one of the ones that you see every year, and especially now that it's becoming more popular with TV shows and stuff, is zombies. So like you'll see the, like the zombies that are kind of like whatever but then you'll see the people that take it like really serious with the zombies. And you know they're serious not just based on their costume, but based on how they do the, the zombie walk thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I saw this dude walking around and he was like, he didn't need to. He's just trick-or-treating and he's doing the zombie walk. And I'm like, this guy's selling this zombie costume hard, man. Selling the zombie costumes with the zombie walk. Um, and if you think about zombies, like, I'm not a big zombie fan. People joke around about, you know, the zombie apocalypse, and they're coming, and there's going to be a, whatever, it's silly, in my opinion. But either way, like, if you consider zombies, it is kind of terrifying. Like, these things, essentially, that were once human, they're behaving a completely different way, right? They, they change significantly. So someone who was once a human, now they're, like, eating the flesh of other humans, they're doing just terrible, gross things. Or they once moved and walked gracefully. Now they're doing the crazy, creepy zombie walk thing. They stumble around. Essentially, what was once a beautiful human is now this horrid kind of, I don't know, distortion of a human. It's bizarre. They barely even resemble being human because they're zombies because they no longer operate as humans. They operate as zombies. In the kingdom of darkness, friends, humans are no longer operating as humans. They're operating as something else entirely. It's kind of like zombies. In the kingdom of darkness, a transformation of identity takes place. Like when humans become zombies. In the kingdom of darkness, humans are no longer reflecting God. They're no longer reflecting what he's like. Instead, they're exalting self. They're promoting self. There's division, there's pain, there's suffering. 
and none of you guys in the room, you, you, none of you need me to like describe what pain feels like and what suffering feels like. If we went around the room, we could hear dozens and dozens and dozens of awful stories of pain, of suffering, of things not the way they're supposed to be. Of experiencing kind of like zombie-like behavior in the people around them who are no longer behaving like humans who are created to reflect God and what he's like. Now they're exalting self. My favorite thing about God is his character. Because in a world that essentially has been given over to the kingdom of darkness, not say, I shouldn't say given over, that has been um, starting to be invaded more and more by the kingdom of darkness, God's not silent. He intervenes. He actually puts on flesh. He comes to earth. And he comes to redeem. Uh, In Luke chapter four, you guys were there earlier. Luke chapter four, verse 18 Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed. Okay, later on in Luke chapter four and verse 43 says this, but he said to them, Jesus says this, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. So stay with me. Jesus says he came to set the captives free and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Set the captives free and proclaim the good news of what kingdom? God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven different than the kingdom of darkness, okay? So when he talks about setting the captives free, we've talked about this a little bit, but I need you to hear me say this. When we talk about setting the captives free, he's talking about setting them free from a kingdom. Guess which kingdom? Darkness. He's talking about setting them free from the kingdom of darkness. He's basically talking about transferring zombies back into humans. He talks about, them, about, about humans that are, that are citizens in this kingdom of darkness, these kind of zombies, kind of dehumanized humans. He talks about them as being captives, of being slaves to sin. This is the part that we've talked about before. Like that, that you can't say no. That's what, when he talks about slavery to, to sin, it's that you can't say no. It's, it's mastered you. Some of us in the room cannot say no to pornography. You can't say no. You've tried. Some of you can't say no to gossip. And I would be willing to bet that every single one of us cannot say no to sinning against someone who sinned against us. And Jesus comes on the scene. He comes on the scene. He comes to slaves like you and I who can't say no, and he comes with amazing news. He comes with good news, with an invitation back into God's kingdom, a different kingdom with different rules and a different king. He comes with a beautiful invitation to live under his rule and his reign doing things his way. And here's what it is. It's an offer to restore your and mine spiritual heritage. To truly live a human life to be truly who you are, not like a zombie version of who you are. 
But here's the thing. With any offer, there's always a cost associated with it. Okay? With any offer, there's always a cost associated with it. Okay? So think about it this way. Um, if somebody offers you a job, you get offered a new job, and maybe it's a great job, maybe it's a better paying job than the job you have now and you're stoked. With any job offer, what happens? They come to you and say, we will pay you X amount of dollars. How much money do you want? How much? A million dollars. Colton wants a million dollars. So his job offer comes in and says, we will pay you a million dollars. That's the offer. But it will cost you X amount of time and energy spent on that job every week, right? Right? There's, a, there's an offer, but there's always a cost, right? So you have a choice. You have a choice in that moment. Do you take the offer and pay the cost or do you pass? So what if he got an offer to opportunity for, you know, $20,000 for a job that's going to just work him to the bone. It's not going to be good for him. He can pass. But if he gets an opportunity for a job that pays him a million dollars and it makes sense, he can go, yeah, I'll take it. You, you have an offer, but there's always a cost. You with me in this? Guys, did you know every choice in your life, every single choice in your life, it has an offer attached to it. Behind every single choice is an offer to live in one of two kingdoms. So, let's just break it down really quickly. Okay, Satan's offer. Here's Satan's offer. His offer is reject God's ways, reject his ways, and live in the kingdom of darkness where every single citizen in that kingdom is going to prioritize themselves, right? And listen, let's not be ignorant here. There's certainly temporary satisfaction with that. Absolutely. None of, us would, none of us would reject God's ways, which is sin, right? None of us would sin if it wasn't pleasurable. So let's just be real. Like, there's temporary satisfaction involved. That's part of the offer. It can be, it can be enticing. So, every citizen prioritizing themselves. But listen, even though it's temporarily satisfaction, it's always at the expense of somebody else. Break it down. It's always at the expense of someone. Maybe you never meet that person. That's why half of the world is in poverty that we can't imagine. It's always at the expense of someone else. So you have this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, where selfishness is the common denominator. That's the offer. Temporary satisfaction, absolutely. It'll feel good for a moment. Totally. So that's the offer. Kingdom of darkness, Satan's offer. What's the cost? Let's weigh the cost here. Cost analysis. What's the cost of Satan's offer? For starters, it's going to cost you your relationships. It's going to cost you, first and foremost, your relationship with God. Okay, because when you reject him and his ways, that creates division. And when you promote self, and it's all about you, that's going to cut you off from relationships with any, any meaningful relationship with another human being. It's going to violate trust. It's going it's to it's 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 destroy the fabric of relationship as it in, in the essence of what it is. So the first cost is going to cost you relationships with God and with other people. Okay, it's going to cost you your humanity. It's going to cost you your humanity because you're no longer operating as a human, as a true human in God's original design. You're operating more like a zombie who feeds on the flesh of other people. It's going to cost you your true identity because you're, and it, to, to take Satan's offer, you're literally forfeiting your spiritual heritage. 
and probably the most devastating one is it will cost you your eternal soul. So Satan's offer essentially is going to cost you everything. Friends, when you and I sin, I'm not better than you, man. When you and I sin, we're taking Satan's offer. No one's forcing us. We're taking it. So whether you like it or not, you're paying the cost. Satan's offer. Let's talk about Jesus' offer. I like this one a whole lot better. Okay? Jesus' offer. Jesus' offer is this invitation to instead live in God's kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of heaven. To, to, to live life God's way, to obey him, which basically means to love him and love other people with everything that you have. It's, it's, it's an invitation to be selfless instead of selfish. It's an invitation to live as one of God's ambassadors, ruling on God's behalf, to create his creation. Now, what's the cost? Every offer has a cost. What's the cost of Jesus' offer? Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Actually, just listen, put it on the screen for him, guys, and just listen to this. What's the cost of Jesus' offer? 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. That's the kingdom of darkness. So you're redeemed from the kingdom of darkness, inherited from your fathers. He's tracing it all the way back to Adam and Eve. You see this? Okay? So you were redeemed from the kingdom of darkness, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of of Christ. What's the cost of Jesus' offer to redeem you and I from the kingdom of darkness? His very own blood. So Satan's offer will cost you everything. And Jesus' offer cost him everything. My friend, do you see this? At the cross, Jesus was forsaken so you and I could be embraced. At the cross, Jesus took punishment like a criminal so you and I could have the privilege of a son. Let me read you one more script, passage of scripture. Colossians verse, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 22. Just listen to this. There's power in the word of God, Okay. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. This is Paul writing to the Colossian church. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, his will, his way, his kingdom. God is king, right? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Again, light versus darkness. Verse 13, listen to this. He, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Friends, Satan's offer will cost you everything. And Jesus' offer cost him everything. I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. Your timing was perfect, Mark. Recently, I got a phone call. Um, and it was a phone call that, is anybody like me? I typically do not answer um, phone calls of like the number I don't recognize because um, anymore you're getting so many roto calls and all these just people trying to sell you stuff. So recently I get this call. This is relatively recently. I get this call from a number, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, and I finally answer it. And the person on the other end of the call says, we've been trying to reach you. And I was like, I could tell. And <clears throat> what I didn't know is that they were calling from my bank. And they were like, hey, are you in London? And I was like, no, I'm in Temecula. And they proceeded to tell me that at some like nightclub in, in like central London, Someone was spending thousands of dollars. But the funny thing is that there's no money in the account, so they can't like spend it, but they're spending thousands of money, thousands of dollars on my card at some nightclub. And instantly when they tell me this, my like, I can start to imagine that some dude is at some nightclub in London, like with his friends, just like ordering bottle service, because it was thousands of dollars. I'm like, how do you spend thousands of dollars unless you're like going for it at the club, right? So some dude in London spending thousands of dollars posing to be me. Like, could you imagine if, like, it'd be so silly, you know, like, if the, just, just the information got out and not the reality of, like, you know, Southern California pastors, like, spending thousands of dollars ordering bottle service at the club in London. Like, it would just be wild, right? So my mind's, like, going there as this woman's telling me this. And, and I'm like, hey, like, what do I do? Like, is everything okay with like, and she said, hey, it's insured. We just need to mark it as fraud. You know, you're covered, but I just wanted to check and see, like, are you ordering bottle service at the club? Are you? She didn't use that. She didn't use bottle service. I'm just, she was basically saying, are you spending the money in London? And I was like, no, I'm not. And so what happened was someone, someone stole my identity. You know, they're posing as me. Listen to me. Adam and Eve. 
right? In the garden, they're tempted by Satan. Jesus in the wilderness, again, tempted by Satan. Do you know what Satan's motive was in both cases? In the temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, do you know what his motive was? He wanted to take something from them. He wanted to take something from them. He wanted to steal their identity away from them. With all of its rights and privileges. Now listen. Um, I believe that God has given this message to me for this morning for a very important reason. And here's what it is. To beg every single person in this room to receive his offer. Jesus' offer, not Satan's offer. Because Satan's agenda is to steal something from you. Jesus' offer is different. I believe God had me change this message this week to beg of you to receive Jesus' offer. His blood for your freedom. His blood to restore your kingdom identity. So, do you know your spiritual heritage? You, not the person next to you. Do you know your spiritual heritage? Okay, we talked about ancestor DNA. Ancestor DNA is fun. It's fun to, not really fun to spit in the tube. It's fun to get your results back. It's fun to look, pull up that website, read your results. Discovering those results are fun. Fun. Do you know your spiritual DNA results? Do you know the percentage? Do you know the breakdown? Do you know who you really are? Because listen to me, the blood of Jesus, what it says is it says that your spiritual DNA results read like this, 100% forgiven. 100% reconciled, 100% redeemed, 100% free to say no to sin in Satan's temptations, 100% empowered to rule on God's behalf, which that means executing his will on earth as his ambassador. Friends, that's your spiritual heritage. And look at me, don't let anybody take it away from you. God gave it to you. Will you stand with me if you're able? I want to pray for us. Play, play. I'm going to listen for just a bit and then pray, okay? See if God wants to highlight something specific for somebody specific.
sends them over and over and over and over and over again. Every single choice that you make, every single choice that you're faced with in your life has an offer associated with it. One, Jesus throws the best parties and he never stops with the invitation. receive Jesus' offer to live in the kingdom of heaven, even here and now, until he comes back and ushers it fully. It's sort of like Jesus is the groom, right? And those of you guys that have gone through an engagement season, you give the ring, there's this promise to be made, and the wedding date is set, it's coming. There's an, you're engaged in the process of getting married. Jesus' first coming, it was to engage the kingdom of heaven. It was to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And he's coming again to consummate the wedding. And we can be people who live in his kingdom here and now, even though, even though the wedding's coming, we can live in his kingdom now. In the midst of the kingdom of darkness happening around us, we can transcend it not just through circumstances, although God does heal, he does break through, he does do that, but we have an authority over sin, Satan, and death to say no to the kingdom of darkness. But it takes receiving Jesus' offer. So for every single one of you in this room that want to receive Jesus' offer, for him to be the king of your life, for you to say no to sin, Satan, and death, whether it's for the first time ever in your life or the 10,000th time in your life, I just want to ask, I'm going to lead with you right now and into inviting Jesus, taking him up on his offer and inviting him in to lead you and be your king. So pray with me, this whole room, all over the room, pray with me now. Jesus, we want you to be our king every single moment of every single day. We see Satan and his deceptive tactics to to try to steal our authority away from us the authority that you've given us to believe what's true about you and to execute your will on the earth. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower every single person in this room to receive your offer and to reject the demonic lie of the enemy that results in us handing things over to him, that results in him stealing our spiritual heritage from us stealing our true identity away from us, our God-given, heaven-ordained identity, purchased by the blood of Jesus alone, not by our perfect works, not by what we do, but by the perfect and precious blood of Jesus. Let us be people who receive your offer, Jesus, and, and spend the rest of our life and the rest of eternity delighting in you and your gracious love for us that you offer it to us every moment of every day let no one be left behind this morning let all of us be ushered more and more into your kingdom Jesus we love you and we praise you